and welcome back to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast. This week, we're discussing the goings-on in the Premier League as the fallout from the transfer window rumbles on. Also, we'll be discussing whether or not Frank Lampard is the right man to take Everton forward and asking whether Brendan Rodgers is starting to feel some pressure at Leicester. I'm your host and resident, Jordy Kieran, and today I'm joined by Liverpool fan Andy. Hello. And Brentford and Party Thistle supporter, Steve. Come on, you bees. How are you doing, Stevie? Not so bad, not so bad. It's been a, a frantic month in the transfer window. A couple of big surprises at the end there. Uh, it's what we love to see, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Obviously, I, can, I can think of one player in particular that somebody's going to want to talk about as a big surprise deal. Um, I can already see the smile on his face, even contemplating. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot wait. Yeah. Cannot wait to talk about this. Cannot wait. Oh, I'm well, just sorry. Andy, sorry, I haven't put it on the running order. So we won't be discussing that this week. I do apologize. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Don't worry, it's in there. I didn't know. <laughs> um, yeah, good. How was your week, Andy, mate? Yeah, can't complain, can't complain. I, I was actually meant to be in Florence on the weekend uh, to watch Fiorentina Lazio uh, on Eurotrips, Seamus plug. But um, Ryan Hills, I'm going with from the channel, uh, he got COVID. So... Oof. That got cancelled, unfortunately, which I was looking forward to seeing because, you know, you've got some good players there. Obviously, Flavish just left them. That would have been quite interesting to see how they reacted to it. I think for the first game back. And also seeing players like Lucas Lever, Pepperino on the bench and things like that would have been quite nice as well. But it is what it is. It's a sign of the times. We have to just get on with it, unfortunately. Yeah, nothing set in stone anymore, is it? Um, no, Lucas Lever. There's a flashback. <laughs> what a legend. What a legend. Absolutely. All right, boys, we're going to dive uh, into our topics because we've got plenty to rifle through tonight. Obviously, got to start with the transfer window. As Steve mentioned, it was a busy month for some teams more than others. Um, <laughs> one team in particular that did a lot of business was, uh, was my club, Newcastle. Obviously brought in five players, Dan Byrne. Be, uh, Dan Byrne, Chris Wood, Kieran Trippier, Bruno Guimaraes and Matt Target. Um couple of those on deadline day as well. One or two fans suggesting that whilst it was a very good window, we were perhaps one player away from it being the perfect window. Um, that either being Jesse Lingard or somebody who can score us a few more goals, given um, Callum Wilson's injury wars. Um, but Steve, how, would, how did you sort of assess Newcastle's transfer dealings in January? So what I looked at in Newcastle, I said... What have Newcastle been doing wrong all season? What has been the biggest problem? And it's like, Newcastle have been conceding goals for fun. Newcastle can't keep a clean sheet. So what did they do in the window? They went out and they brought two quality fullbacks, which were desperately needed. You brought in a defensive midfielder to protect the back two, and you brought in a guy called Dan Byrne who can play at both wing, fullback and centre-back. That's pretty much the best thing you can possibly do in a relegation battle, is shore up your back line, right? Um, the signing of Gamarish was a surprise. I think a lot of people thought you might be waiting until till summer to pick him up, but uh, he has, you know, he's coming early. Um, hopefully, he takes a little bit of the pressure off uh, of some of the other guys in the midfield. Hopefully, he provides that little bit of a kind of deep, creative playmaker role that you've been sorely lacking all season. Um, you know, as much as I want to say John Joe Shelby should be playing that, John Joe Shelby, as you know, pretty much plays one in three games even though he's there for all of them. Nah, you play with John, John Joe Shelby will play. He plays every game of this season. Man. No, that's I mean. He yeah. plays but he's oh, not he actually actually turns there, there for one out of three. <laughs> so, yeah, very sure. 
And obviously, let's say you, you put a tank up front and Chris Wood, you know, that will hopefully bring the best out of the, the likes of Joe Linton and, uh, you know, and, and the guys around him. Uh, maybe maybe even see you know, Ryan Fraser play a little bit more now, uh, yeah. as in play as opposed to just be there. He's been doing all right, to be fair, Ryan. Um, yeah. When he first came in, he was useless. But um, since Eddie Howes came came in and he's back in a, a somewhat familiar environment uh, to what he was used to at Bournemouth, he started mm-hmm. to do all right. Like he's, he's The biggest difference is he's working hard in every game. He's running and running and running. Um, and then obviously he's got a brilliant right foot so he can always deliver a decent cross when we need him to as well. So... Mm-hmm. No complaint to Ryan Fraser at the moment, as long as he can keep that level of form up. But the Bruno the side other, is ridiculous. The, the other thing I looked at, I looked at who went out, and I thought it was like it was kids, it was kids, it was kids. Oh, it's Jeff Hendrick, but it's not a big loss. It was kids, it was kids, it was kids. He basically kept the core of the squad there and brought in guys who are who will create competition for those places and possibly even mean that you see bet see more out of players who you know yourself have been there for a couple of years and have probably underperformed because there's just nobody to displace them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the outgoings, Rosel Angelo um, didn't look like he was good enough. He's gone to Akron permanently. Joey White, very, very highly rated young kid. Joe White, central midfielder, going to be one hell of a player. He's first loan down at Hartlepool. Same applies to Elliot Anderson, who's got the Bristol Rovers. Matt Bonswell as well, to a certain uh, extent. Freddie Woodman, Obviously, great player, just no game time for it. Available for him alone, the championship again, um, doing the world of good. Matty Longstaff wasn't getting played at Aberdeen, so he's ended up at um, Mansfield on loan. Jeff Hendrick is um, Jeff Hendrick's loan is with a view to him eventually leaving because uh, just uh, I, he's not got a place in the squad. He hasn't done for a while. He's like a fish out of water whenever he's in the team. So, oh, I, I don't he's don't just like the kid. Bruce signing. Oh, he is absolutely Steve Bruce signing, but I don't dislike the lad and I hope he does well at QPR. I hope the championship works out a bit better for him than the Premier League has. Um, speaking, speaking of the championship, just, just before we go back on the transfers, Steve Bruce is back in the championship at West Brom. Do you wish uh, him well? No. Um, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Andy. Um, you look really at- think he'll do a job there in West Brom and bring him up? I actually do. I, I do. I think he's... If given the time, he'll do it. He, um, but... Yeah, I just—he's not my favorite human being. But if he's given the time and given the resources, he'll bring them up. Um, Fair enough. Andy sticking with Newcastle. What did you make of our businesses uh, this winter? I'd give it a solid B. I think that I think that it's exactly what you're saying. It's almost perfect. I mean, you know, Newcastle. We said it before. Newcastle were never going to get these top, top players that everyone was dreaming about. Sonny, you know, the likes of Haaland and Mbappe. They're never going to get. Players like Nobody, that. But, can I stop you there? Nobody was dreaming of that. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at Twitter, you might think differently. But um people are joking, Andy. I have to I have to <laughs> defend my fan base to a certain extent. Yeah. We yeah. we were we were somewhat taking the piss. <laughs> people yeah. what we what we needed in this window was Premier League experience, was players well, who are gonna who are gonna fit in and adapt quickly. Well, and that's exactly that. That's exactly what we Yeah, doing. exactly that. I mean, you um, you know, you need the players. I think your plan is probably, uh, if I'm right in saying, if this season is to stay up, yeah. just make sure you stay in the Premier League and then next season, next summer even, just look to build on that and try and you know get mid-table. But a bit like Man City, what they did really, you know, the first year or two, just look to stay in the Premier League, get mid-table, etc. And then 
look for Europa League as a goal and then build on that. So I think Newcastle yeah, do exactly what it should be. Yeah, I, I think I think be, I think you'll survive. I think I see no way you'll go down. I think the players you bought they'll make a difference and you'll stay up. And then I think next next summer you'll see is where you'll see a lot more bigger income coming in potentially uh, with, with with that aim of sort of trying to get maybe Europa League if not if not mid table and then just try and establish yourself in the Premier League and then go from there. There's a little bit of uh, form come into Newcastle. Actually, looking at the table, I mean, we, we were looking at we back in September, October. That's right. You, your last three games are two draws and a win, and it's like in the bottom half of the table. You know, New Year's time. That's actually pretty good, and that's that's before you count in the, the likes of, of Dan Byrne and, and Bruno Gamarish coming into the team because neither of them have played a the game yet. So, yeah, I, I can see. I mean, I, what, what's your next three fixtures? Because that's gonna. You know, that's going to be really, really important. We have um, the actually big fixtures as well. We have Everton this week. Uh, we have Everton tomorrow night. Uh, then we have Villa on Sunday. And then mm-hmm. I think ooh, I think the one after that is Palace away, if I'm not mistaken. I will check that out, actually. Let's, let's be realistic, yeah. You could take between four and six points from those games. No, it's West Ham away after that. It's Everton Villa, then West Ham away, and then Brentford away. Again, I don't see any reason why you can't take a point off West Ham. Uh, Villa's form, everyone's kind of talking up the Stevie G effect, but actually Villa's form is very middling. It's like only two two wins and a draw in the last six games. So, you know, there's a point there to be taken. And Everton's form, well, is the, is the Lampard effect going to be... Uh, I was going to say, Everton's you know, form, I, I, do, I do think Everton's form is now irrelevant because... We all know that a new manager changes the dynamic at a, at a club. It changes the outlook. It changes what you're sort of expecting of a team. Um, so in the next... This game against us tomorrow night is going to be Lampard's first and obviously he's going to be expecting something of a reaction. So we have to be prepared for that and we have to do our best to, to sort of stifle that. Um, and I hope we can. I hope we do. Andy? Is that at home or away? It's at home. That that is going to be interesting then, because I, I can see. I mean, Lampard. I, I saw the game against Brent from the weekend, and it was like, yeah, it was, it was nice. They were at home. They could, they could you know, as many goals as we can score, kind of thing. Um, but I get a feeling when he comes away from home, he's going to be a little bit more pragmatic. And Lampard tactically is not at his best when he's pragmatic. When he's trying to like just play for the the draw, play for the, to nick a point here and there. You know, when when Lampard goes all out. To, to attack, that's when his team's at the best. So, you know, Newcastle's counter-attacking is, is actually improved a lot under house. So, that'll be a cracking game. I don't expect them to approach the game in a pragmatic way, to, uh, to be personal. To be perfectly honest, I think he'll um, I think he'll just throw everything at us in an attempt to impress on his first game. Um, so, I'm expecting it to be a tough game. Pre the Lampard appointment, I did think we were going to win that game. Um, now, I'm not Entirely convinced, but we'll we'll, uh, we'll see. Andy, what were you going to say? No, I was just basically I was just going to defend um, Villa's form. You mentioned was it two wins in the last six, but they've um, the last six they also they beat Everton one nil away. They drew at Man U, uh, lost to Brentford, then they lost to Chelsea, beat Norwich, and lost to Liverpool. So I think Villa. I'm quite. I've been quite impressed with Gerard. I'm not saying this from a buyer's point of view, but I do think that they've been quite pleasant. They've even the games they have lost to these big teams, most of them they have looked very competitive. I mean, they only lost with a 2-1 against Man City. They took us to the 80th minute to score a goal. 
Um, the Man U game they drew to all great result, uh, and I think yeah, I think Villa are a team to watch out for. I think Coutinho is a great signing. I think he's he, he'll if they're actually playing where he's meant to in the middle. I think Gerald will know that exactly where he's where he's best played in century rather than that wide like Barcelona and Inter Milan did in the past. So I think they got him. I think they bought um, Lucas Digne. I think it's a good signing as well. I think they've got a really good team. I think they're really building something at Aston Villa. I think whilst this season they probably juice their start of the season, they probably won't do much. But I think, you know, look at Villa for next season beyond. Uh, I, I think Villa are a team to really look out for in the sort of signings they've made. And I think we'll see some more signings as well come, come the summer. What do we think of Callum Chambers going to Villa on a free? I've always thought he's never been as bad as everyone makes out. I don't think he's not, obviously not a world-class but He's not, you know, one of these elite players like Thiago Silva, the likes. But I think I've never thought he was as bad as some, some people have made out. I think, you know, I think he's probably one of, one of the more, more capable centre-backs compared to the likes of Rob Holding or uh, in the past, like Mustafi and uh, I'll name the... I forgot the other one on the centre-back with a long surname. Uh, his name's completely passed me by. Um, but yeah, I, I think I don't think he's that bad. I think that um, I think he'll do, he'll do all right for it. I think he'll do a good job at Aston Villa. I hope so. He's one of those kind of versatile defenders that you want in your squad because you mm. can play multiple positions. And I think that's what Jared thought about. He's not thought of like, this is the guy that will replace Tyra Mings. He's thought like, this is the guy that if Mings is out, can come in for him. You know, if my right back is out, you know, he can come in and play there. He's got a little bit of versatility. He's good going forward. He's decent on the ball. And he has got a decent pass on him. He's just his problem is, as you say, he's not that kind of world class dominant centre back that you expect. He's not that world class. Yeah, but they're not looking for that though. Yeah, well, it, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Hasn't been brought in to do that. Building. As you've just said, what he's building, and I think, and I think Arsenal fans were looking to, they were looking for him to come in and be right from the outset as dominant centre back, which he's, it's never been his game. As you just said, though, he hasn't been brought in to be even necessarily a starter. He's been brought in to be a solid, dependable, versatile squad player. Um, and he's a cheap option with a lot of Premier League experience who will provide them exactly that. So as far as I'm concerned, I think it's just a it's just it's a it's a decent little signing. Like you say, he's not going to set the world alight in any game he's going to play, but he's a dependable option to fill in when uh, whenever there's a hole. Um, and like you say, he can fill in anywhere across that back line, even left back if at a push. Um, so, yeah. But that does bring us uh, quite nicely onto Arsenal, actually, who probably a lot, if you listen to a lot of the experts, have had arguably the worst window of any of the Premier League teams. They were just about the only one of the 20 sides to actually come out of the window weaker than they went into it. Andy, would you agree with that statement? Um, I say on a squat depth point of view, yes, they have weakened. But I think what Arsenal have got is got no FA Cup, no League Cup, no Europe, just Premier League. Mm-hmm. And so I think I don't think it's a that much much of a problem in that sense because they haven't got loads of games to worry about. All they got is Premier League, and, and that's it. And I think that uh, going back to Liverpool again, look, we we won the we came second in the league with um, you know without you know. We got second place without European football and without cup competitions. And I think that Arsenal, that's, that was dead and well, if you look at their, their hopes of getting top four, I think the fact they'll have no games but Premier League will be good. And I know they've lost to Bamiang, but I think he was a bit of a uh, bit of a dressing room canter, really. I don't think he was the best person for the dressing room. I think the stuff he got off to 
for many years now, but now his goals are drying up, so he can't really disguise that with his output on the pitch. And then that whole thing saying that I think sometimes people, there's a, there's a modern day obsession with having to buy this player and that player and buy a million players. I think that's been down to things like Football Manager, FIFA, Man City's um, transfer spending and stuff like that. And I think sometimes it's not, some some people just buy players for sake of it. So I, I like the fact that Edu and Arteta are not just buying players just to, for sake of buying. I think now oh, they want to get players that actually seem to think if they're waiting for the summer to buy the right players for them and they get those players. And I think that is well worth the wait. Uh, yeah, I think if, yeah, it goes back whole thing. If they were playing more competition, I'd be, I'd be worried. But the fact that they're not playing any cups, then I, I don't think that's as bad as people are making out on Twitter. Steve, Arsenal are one injury yeah. away from crisis, aren't they? No, I don't agree with that. I, I, no. I think Andy's nailed it there. This was this was the window where they finally said, right, we need to cut the deadwood. We need to give Arteta a clear shot oh, next season. Absolutely. Right? We need to look at it. Um, I mean, you look at who they, who they got rid of. I mean, obviously, Chambers is out. Obama Young is out. Kolasinac is out. You know, guys like Pablo Mari, who have been sitting there in the squad just picking up a big wage. They're out on loan. Foreign Balgan's out on loan. Uh, a lot of the, the younger players who have genuinely no chance of getting into the squad, they went out on loan or, you know, in the case of Amani Richards, he was sold outright to Leicester, which I actually think might come back to haunt them in a few seasons. But, you know, um, and again, it's just, who did they bring in? They brought in like younger players who they just immediately loaned back out again. This is this is classic Arsenal. This was what Arsenal done in November. It was like when they got the big names in who are on big wages and they stopped performing, they just cleared the place out brought in the kids and then re- re, you know, redesigned themselves the following season. And I think this is a it, next season, ne- especially next, uh, you know, June, July, that will be Arteta's window. Um, say, I think when we started podcast at the start of the season, we thought Arteta would be judged a little bit on this season. Um, and he has, he brought the team from what looked pretty dire in the, the first month of the season. He's turned it around. He's got them top four. He hasn't spent big money and he's able to board to get rid of high wage earners that are just, you know, dragging the club down. And he's given himself a, a chance next season to go out and buy the guys he really wants on big money. Now, fair enough, whether or not he gets those is going to be very dependent on whether or not he can get that top four spot and get Champions League football. But I, I don't, think Arsenal are nearly the, the crisis everyone thinks. I think you can see around the squad, whenever someone gets injured, it's you know, it's partly next man up and it's partly doing it the Arsenal way, bringing through the younger players to, to cover the injuries, to cover the spots. And I, I don't think they're nearly as bad a place as a lot of people are saying right now. I think the issue that you've got, if you're an Arsenal fan right now, is your squad is potentially a little bit too thin. Um, going into the last six months of the season. Yes, they don't have cup competitions or European football to play, but they only have Eddie Nketiah and Alex Lacazette to face the rest of the season up front. A lot of Arsenal fans are saying that they absolutely had to sign a centre-forward in this last window. Um, but obviously that wasn't a, that didn't happen for whatever reason, and now they're going to look to try and build on build in the summer and try and build a team that's capable of competing in the summer. But if they perhaps lose, I don't know, Emile Smith-Rowe and Alex Lacazette to six-week injuries, that's six weeks that they're without arguably their two biggest threats in attack. And that could, they could end up losing that much ground that they don't qualify for the Champions League. And if they don't qualify for the Champions League, 
then none of these summer plans that they've got matter because it's, they're not going to work anyway. Players aren't going to want to come and sign for Arsenal if they're not in the Champions League. That's how Arsenal fans are looking at this situation, or at least the ones that I am friends with are looking at this situation. Steve, you're sitting shaking your head, but I don't really yeah, know why. Like you haven't mentioned the guy who has been Arsenal's form striker for the last month and a half, you know, Gabriel Martinelli. Gabriel Martinelli has absolutely stepped up in the last six weeks. Mm-hmm. He's been a threat going forward. He's got he's a top scorer in the last four weeks. You know, he's he displaced the likes of Nicolas Pepe in the squad. You know, he's it's not as though they lack depth that's front. It's just we expect them to have a bigger name up in the team. And you no, know, I'm looking at the midfield, it's like, yeah, Smith, Smith Rowe goes down, fair enough. Um, Odegaard's there, uh, Patino's starting to come through, uh, obviously Saka and, and uh, you, so you so you're expecting Arsenal, you're expecting Charlie Patino to be the guy to fire Arsenal into the Champions League. If uh, I'm, I'm saying this it. is what I'm saying earlier, Arsenal are doing things the Arsenal way. You bring through a younger lad, you set him on the bench, you give him 15 minutes a game here and there, and he develops and he gets into the, the squad mentality and he becomes a key player. And that's what they've always done. Martinelli, I mean, he's he's not breaking through this season. He came two years ago and he's been a, a talent in the squad, but he's struggled. Because you've had the likes of Obama Yang there kind of holding everything back. I struggle because it's um, been injuries. And uh, yeah, but he's always one of those players Obama who can play and next like, week. And he's one of those players who can play next week and then not again for another year. Like he's and he's not a striker, by the way. That still doesn't take away from the point that they've only got Alex Lacazette and Eddie and Ketia up front for the rest of the season. I, I don't I don't think it's nearly as bad as you make out. Uh, I think I, I think Arsenal will be fine this season. I genuinely do. All right. Yes or no? Will they qualify for the Champions League? No. Then they've made a mistake in the transfer window and not buying anyone. Haven't no, they? because well, Arsenal are, are where they Arsenal are where they were meant to be this season. Arsenal were meant to finish fifth or sixth this year. Right. I don't think the board expected what? anything more than that. They've been in the top four for weeks. They've been in that fight for weeks. Arsenal were expect Arsenal fans were expecting to go into this window to strengthen their team and push on and make sure that they qualify for the Champions League so that in the summer they could bring in some bigger name players and they could continue to push forward and try and stay in that top four and then even maybe push towards titles in a few years' time. That's what Arsenal fans want. That's what Arsenal fans expected. But now... If they don't qualify for the Champions League this season, then they're back to where they were last year, the year before again, where they're in the Europa League, possibly even the Conference League, and they can't attract the top name, the top quality players, and the same thing happens again. I think that's the nature of it. Any team that's outside of the Champions League can't attract those top players, but I don't think it's, I don't think Arsenal's aim this year was top four. Right? It's like their chairman is not the kind of guy who will go out there and splash that hundred million pound in a striker. Right, I mean, when they bought uh, Nicola Pepe a few years back, I remember we all kind of looked at him and went, really? Is he really, you know, are they going to spend that much on a guy who, let's, let's be entirely honest, was never a £70 million player? Um, and it was one of those, it's because they had to pay that because, frankly, no, no one else no, no one else would join them. Um, that's the problem that they have. It's like they, they don't, they, they are not the attractive top four option that they have they were under Wenger, right? Arteta is trying to build a younger squad, but he's he's having to do it with kids and he'll have to do it by developing younger players because they're not going to buy top talent, right? The one the money just isn't there. 
Yeah, I think Arsenal could have bought, you know, could have bought a centre back, could have bought a centre middle, could have bought a player they needed in, in a position they needed. But it's that thing of if they're actually right for Arsenal, if they're, if they're actually a good enough fit. So I think, yeah, I, I think I agree with Steve the fact that, you know, if they get fifth or sixth, it's no sort of different to what they're expecting. But I do get that as well, the fact that the last month or two has really raised expectations and now the goal has probably changed to get top four. And there still was only four, three points off fourth place. You know, man, you've got um, Champions League to worry about, maybe not for long, but they've got Champions League round of 16 to worry about. Uh, you know, West Ham have got Europa League. Tottenham have got nothing, so they might have a shout as well with Conte. So I think, yeah, I think Arsenal personally will, will be fine. But I do, I, I do completely get your point about the fact that they do need to strengthen depth to a certain extent as well. I think that's that's just the way any Arsenal fan is going to look at it. That's especially the way that my friends who are Arsenal fans have been looking at it is that they are now in a situation because they've act, they actively weakened their squad in the um, window. They're now in a situation where should they lose two or three key players, that's it. That, that's the season done. They're lucky if they even qualify for the Conference League because... But Wolves aren't a million miles behind the rest of the pack, are they? They're only on Ooh, two Wolves. That's a shout. Wolves have been, I think they're the second best defensive team in the league. They got the second most clean sheets. So I really like what Bruno Large has done yeah. with that team. And I think Wolves are a shout. I think, remember, we always all thought, you know, when when, when um, Nuno left, when, you know, when uh, things like that happened, you thought, oh, maybe that's Wolves' time up in terms of those, that good start they had back in the Premier League. But I think. He has really done a good job there. I think, you know, um, they are within a shout. I think they're a genuine shout of getting uh, Champions League. Not, I think they'll just miss out, but I, I think Wolves don't, don't knock Wolves out. I think, especially again, with no you, no cups like Arsenal have, then I, I think they um, are definitely a dark horse for that, for that place. They're definitely in with the shout of qualifying for Europe this season, be it. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Be it even the Europa League, but like, say. Arsenal, Tottenham, even West Ham and Man U to a certain extent have got to be looking over their shoulders because they can't afford to keep slipping up, which is, like I say, it's where Arsenal are going to be looking at things going, that's not strengthening in this window is a mistake. Steve? Yeah, Wolves' problem isn't at the back. And, and like you say, what Bruno Lodge has done there is, is astonishing in terms of how well he's organised them at the back. Their problem is always kind of going forward. Um, yeah, they're... they're They've got this great defensive record, but right now they're they're doing you know a Burnley. They're like it's a one now, it's a, it's a two one, it's a it's by the odd goal here, and that only works in the Premier League for a certain amount of time before eventually you know those one nils become you no know, one nil losses. Um, I do think that Wolves, uh, another team who they did a right in the in the window. Um, I think the loss of Adama Traore on loan to Barcelona was uh, was a big loss, and um, the guy they brought in, to, uh, I can't remember his name. Huang, Huang He Chan. Hang on, let me bring it. Yeah, yeah Huang He Chan. They brought it from Leipzig. I'm not so sure that he's going to kind of settle in and have the same kind of impact that Traore has on the pitch. I mean, we've we've said before, Traore is the kind of player who comes on. He might not be. Huang's been there all guy. season. Huang's been he there did. all season. Started off well, didn't he? Started off well, I think. I don't think. I think his goals have dried up. Uh, yeah, they have a bit. He signed for the he signed for them on loan in the summer, Steve. He's just, they made the move permanent in the, in January. Ah, that's what it is. Yeah, but what I'm looking at just shows the, the deal sort of finalised in January. But yeah, I mean, he's just, Traore has that impact. You know, Traore is that kind of Traore and Pedence for me are the two kind of players who, if you play them wide and opposite, 
and run at players. They just terrify defenders, you know, and you need that, especially if you're chasing a game or you want, you know, want to win like a close game. And I think the loss of Triori is going to be quite significant for Wolves. Do you? Um, and was I, he even playing? He was, he was coming in off the bench, and this is what I'm talking about. He was coming in, he was having those 45-minute, 60-minute impacts on a game, and the same with Pudence does. And they, they just, they run themselves into the ground, those two players. And I think without, with only one or the other instead of both, Wolves lose balance in the team. And then you have to go back, you have to rely more on Ruben Neves, you have to rely more on Jaume Matinho, um, which to be fair, they've both stepped up again this season. Although I think Neves might be, uh, he might be on the way out by, by summer. I think he's uh, he's outgrown the club and he needs his last big move at 28. Um Everyone's but, been saying that about uh, about Ruben Neves for about six years. Yeah, <laughs> shout I think out to Wilfred Zaha in that sense as well. Yeah, I think there's two central midfielders that will definitely move in the summer. One's Ruben Neves and one Yuri Tielemans. I think those are two guys that have kind of out. They need their big move now. Um, in the case of Tielemans, he's outgrown the club. In the case of Neves, it's like you know he's a he's a Pedro Mendes uh, player, which means he has to get one big move um, at 28, 29, because that's what he does with all of his star players. Yeah, uh, that's fair enough. Right, boys, we're going to move on to Andy's favourite topic. Luis Diaz was uh, quite a coup for Liverpool in the window. Obviously, Pippen taught them to the eventual signing from Porto. Uh, something like 40, 45 million, was it, Andy? I think it's 37, but it could rise to something like 45, 54 million pounds or something like that. I think they're saying. Yeah. 54 million euros it can rise to, 47 million pounds. Yeah, either way, it's a very, very, very good sign. And it's the one that I uh, apparently said wouldn't happen a few weeks ago, but I honestly yes. didn't. Yes, on the podcast. <laughs> Andy, Andy did come with receipts for that, but I really honestly have no recollection of saying that. <laughs> um, either way, it has happened. It's a great signer for Liverpool. Uh, Andy? Andy? Yeah, I, I'm really happy. I mean, I think from what I've heard, we were going to buy him in the summer, but I think Spurs' interest just ramped up our end, ramped up our... Purchased of him, I think we would have gone in the summer otherwise if Spurs hadn't expressed their interest. But again, he played on the weekend and the Cardiff really came off the bench. Had a bit, a bit of a worry when he went down injured for a bit, but he got back up and he was fine. But he did well for the goal, albeit bad defending from Cardiff. But he looked, he did well from what I saw. He looked good. Um, you know, I think his debut did mind me a bit like, he might, when I watched him, it looked a bit like Suarez. Like, I think that's a big comparison to make, but I think watching I think him play... it's a very big com- comparison to make, given that he played an FA Cup game against Cardiff. Yeah, but I think it's some of the touches he made and some of the movement he made felt Suarez-like, but it's, again, it's early days. But um, I was looking, sort of looking up, sort of, he was saying the fact that, you know, cause I think he's been bought in, being a left winger, I think he's been bought in as a Mane replacement long-term. Uh, but from what I've seen about him, you know, he's talking about how he... He'd rather set someone up than score if the chance came to him. And that does remind me very much of like Firmino. So he could easily be someone that could replace Firmino as well. If you have those front three interlinking positions, uh, I think he could easily be... I think Firmino's time is up shortly. I don't think he'll stay longer than a year or two. And I think Lewis Diaz, well, for my sounds like he sounds a very cop-like player and very Firmino-like in terms of his selflessness on the pitch. I think he could be a good replacement for... Either one of those players, um, and yeah, I think, he's, he's the, I think he's the Mane replacement, isn't he? He likes to, play yeah, left. most likely. Yeah. But I think he has definitely has shades of Firmino as well in his sort of his play. Um, the first ever Colombian to play for Liverpool. Um, that's a fun fact for everyone. Um, Interesting. So I think as who else has been has been for was obviously Falcao's one, Carlos Rodriguez. Colombian um, the best. The best Juan, you've missed the best Colombian of all time to play in the Premier League. Juan Pablo Angel. 
No, no Tino, 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 Tino. I could be wrong on this, but I thought I hear somewhere that you know they bought him mid-season the year he lost the league with twelve-point lead. Did, did I hear somewhere that he was like a bad thing for the dressing room? Did I hear that right? He's no, you did thing. not, because Faustino Aspria is an absolute legend on Townside. He uh, is beloved. Tino was one of those like he was the classic Keegan sign. It was like right. We're on course for the title. Everything looks good. Everything looks good. What do we need? We probably need to get one more big centre-back to kind of show up the back. Okay, what are we going to do? £12 million on a striker. <laughs> it was the most Keegan thing imaginable. And Espria was just godlike. He was so much fun to watch as a neutral. Because when he got the ball, it was like, he's going to run at defenders. He's going to challenge. He fought for everything. And he had such a strike on him. You know, it was like, there were two players in the league that season when they got the ball at the feet. I was like, they're, when they hit it, it's either going to go in or it's going to kill the guy it hits. One was Hasselbank and one was Espria because the two Tony of them had cannons. Y- Yeboah was a different one because Yeboah was like, he's going to hit it like a cannon, but Yeboah was just so accurate. You know, it wasn't just power with Yeboah, it was pure accuracy, whereas Espria and, and Hasselbank were like, they're going to they're gonna go through the net with the ball. That was their aim every time they hit the ball. Uh, Faustino Espria, I know this is a bit tangential, but... Faustino Espria's highlight of his time on Tyneside was hat-trick in a 3-2 Champions League win over Barcelona, a game that my dad reminds me he was at regularly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. If we're going to go lo- to the Colombians, this. Andy, um, you know, you forget like Yeri Mina, obviously Everton. Jaime yeah. Rodriguez, who's just, just left Everton on loan. I did um, mention him. Yeah, you've still got uh, Hernandez at Watford and you've got Paveda at Leeds. So there, there, are, there are some in there just now, but if you kind of look at the ones that are legends, yeah, Spree is probably at the very top of the list. Who right is he? Absolute hero of a man. Anyway, we were talking about Luis Diaz, a current Colombian. Continue, Andy. That, that was my point. That was the one point, really. Just that I think, yeah, I think he'll be a good addition. I think he's definitely, you know, I, I think we're stepping further away from that front. That front three you had so many. I think the end of their flat front three, I think. Obviously, the big worry is about Salah's contract not being renewed. I think it's the absolute lunacy if you don't get that done in the next few months. But I think that front three is slowly sort of being more... I think they're slowly, being, they're slowly yeah. being replaced. Yeah, I think Firmino's already spending time on the bench with Jota's impact on the pitch. Mane's he's, get, he's getting goals, but he's not got that same that same level of he's had in the years gone by. So I think we are slowly... They're all sort of 28, 29, so we are slowly... I think phasing, especially Marnie and Firmino, out slowly. I think I think that's what DS has been brought in to do and also Jota's doing now. Um, and I do think we'll still buy another attacker come the summer. Um, but it all, it, all, again, it all depends on what happens with Mo Salah. I, I, I think if we let it go to next season and he's not signing a new deal, I think it's going to ramp up the pressure. It's going to ramp up all the speculation. And, you know, Salah's made it clear that he wants to stay. But I think it's his agent meddling in so much. And, uh, but there was, was a thing, I think, going around. Wenger made a good point about this, where you're seeing a lot of players now, you think Bappe doing it, Haddon may well do it as well, is these players that are running down their contracts, so they get more wages, and that doesn't impact financial fair play to an extent. So I think that's another worry as well. Is agent trying to do that to get more money for his client and obviously more commission as well? So, um, yeah, hopefully... Here's a question, Andy. Here's a question, yeah. How much per week is Salah worth? Well, I think he wants... 400,000 a week, which is less than De Bruyne and Ronaldo. I think it's paying what he wants. I mean, um, that would mean I work that that'll be 400,000 pounds a week would amount to 80 million pounds across four years, 20 million pounds a year. I mean, that's 
who you getting for that much money? Who are you getting any window for twenty million pounds these days? That's any good? I mean, I think, but it's getting him tied down to a contract. It's as good as a new signing for me. I think we we definitely could do with a creative midfielder. Yeah. Um, Alan Pardew. Yeah, you sounded just like Alan Pardew there. Did I? <laughs> yeah. Explain yourself. Oh, it's just an old Alan Pardew thing. Every time we used to, every time a player come back from injury, it'd be like, oh, it's just like having a new signing. Oh, right. He said it that much that every Newcastle fan hated him for it. But anyway, I mean, I, I think but if, if, if it was now, being more like Pardew, he'd have like signed every player to a 27 year contract, wouldn't he? Uh, and signed six left backs. All from France. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, anyway, I, I, the whole the whole I'm sorry, mate. I'm just gonna weigh in on the Salah thing. If you're gonna have the best players in the world, then you have to pay them like they're the best players. Exactly. And it's exactly. as simple as that. And if you don't respect them, you're gonna if they're gonna keep going on about them being the best player in the world, and then they're not gonna give them best player in the world money. He's gonna go somewhere else and he is gonna get best player in the world's money. And Liverpool will be absolutely stupid if they let that happen. It's just my yeah. in that situation. It'll be absolutely it'll be the worst thing we've done. Years. I mean, the worst thing we've done probably the last 10, 15 years is either buy Koncheski or um, have Hicks and Gillette anywhere near the club. But I think this would be up there as one of our most stupidest decisions. Because I, th- I think, you know, you see he's clearly the favourite of Ballon d'Or, not Ballon d'Or, but a PFA player of the year. Maybe Ballon d'Or next year, I don't know. But he's definitely the, fav- the odds-on favourite of a PFA player of the year. I can't see anyone else winning that award. He's been by far the best player this year. He's not been... going to win Ballon d'Or because he's not going to win anything. But still, um, yeah. <laughs> but... He literally has been every year. He's produced twenty odd goals. He's been. There's no one more worthy of a big contract than him for us in the last four years, five years. Uh, he's just been exceptional. I think it'd be the, stupid, the stupidest thing ever, and I think that would further um, add to Liverpool fans' point dislike of FSG at the moment. I think that that would really not help things. Their sort of relationship with the fans if they fail out their best player to leave, and it's not like yeah, the fact that De Bruyne and Ronaldo be earning more. It's not like we're making him most paid player of all time we're paying him in these days at £400,000 a week that seems to be the going rate for the top top players that is the going rate I know I know FSG you know they've got a history of not spending too much money you know look at the buying Alisson and Van Dijk with the Coutinho money someone we bought for £8 million £8.5 we've never really been ones to sort they've never been ones too much to sort of go out of their pocket too much I mean I think they're the, the ninth biggest net spend I think in the whole league I think teams like Everton and Wolves had a more of a net spend than us so we're never being a team to sort of, you know, spend beyond our means. But I think in this case, you just have to do it. And you just have to, um, even if that means selling Mane or selling a player like that for like 20, 30 million, I think just get get it done because I think he's too too good to let go. If if Liverpool do decide to pull the trigger in the summer and say, you know what, we're not giving you the contract. You've got like a year and a bit left. You are the best player in the world. How much money will they ask? Because in the current market, you know, hundreds, 150 million transfer fees, they're not really getting paid. We're back into the kind of realms of 60, 70 million, you know, with, with kind of longer extensions and on loans. Nobody's paying so, 100 million pounds for a player out of contract in 12 months' time anyway. So, no, I agree. And it's like, this is why they, they were talking about Mbappe going from PSG to Real in the summer and in, in January. And it was like, no, that was never going to happen because there was no way PSG could realize the kind of money they wanted for him. Um, and when you've got like players like Mbappe uh, on the market and someone possibly Haaland, you know you probably look at those ahead of Salah. You look at guys in the 23, 24, and you can get five, six-year contract out of instead of buying the Salah's, what, 28, 29 now? Yeah, round right about that age, this, yeah. This goes That's to what I was saying now. earlier about with Ruben Neves. It's like 
this is the age when you get your last big contract because anything after this is kind of downhill unless you're the likes of a, a Messi or Ronaldo that just shifts millions of shirts. So I, I, I totally agree with you that it would be stupid for them to let Salah go in the current form. Um, and, and the fact that he is, in his position, probably the best in the league by quite some way. Um, the world right but, now. But the question is, two years down the line, three years down the line, are you still going to be paying 400 grand a week to, to a player who's starting to slow down? And that's where FSG's thinking is. So... Yeah, well, that's, I, I, I that's, a, that's a really small-minded way to think about it. Um, they're American, so... Yeah, we, that's, that's exactly what it comes down to, is they are doing that, falling into that old trap of running a football club like it's a, like it's a, like it's a normal business. Yes, it is a business to an extent, but football clubs are not a normal business. It, it goes back to what we said earlier about Kronke at Arsenal. It's like when you've got an American mentality owning the team, it says the aim is to grow the value of the asset without investing too much. And a 400 grand a week contract for someone like Salah, you know, it basically keeps, in terms of like revenue and money coming in, it just keeps things static. It doesn't grow the value of the asset. And that's where FSG are thinking. Yeah, and it yeah. will be there. The reason why they don't win another Premier League title for the next 25 years, well, yeah, they're there anyway. I do think with Salah as well, though, I think he's proved in the last few years that you know, even if his pace goes, he's still got amazing finishing abilities. I think, even if you know, I think he can go till but 34 35 and still score goals. I think he's that good at finishing these days. I think he, um. I think he, he, even if his pace goes, he'll still be a brilliant asset to the club. And this is a big task for the Michael Edwards replacement, Julian Ward. His, his probably his first big task will be trying to keep Salah at the club. Yeah, we've got um, we've got a lot. There's a lot of work that Liverpool need to do in that regard. But yeah, it's a tough situation. But we have to move on. We've got a couple of subjects still left to talk about before we leave the transfer window. I do want to ask you both what you think your signing of the window was. Steve, can I give my worst? Uh, you can give your best and your worst if you want. Um, Good. Steve, you're, you're, you're up first. Your best signing, uh, your signing of the window, and you can also give your worst signing of the window if you want. Uh, right, so this is an odd one uh, because I've got two or three I'm thinking that was a really good signing and then I've got a couple I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. Um, best signing of the window for, for me and this is one that kind of flew under the radar a little bit, uh, and that's Dejan Kulisevsky at Spurs. Um, that's a player who I have loved watching for years. Um, that's hipsters answer like, that. Oh, away <laughs> you go. He's he's just he's one of those players. He's coming in. They've, they've got rid of Brian Hill. They've got like let Lucas Moura go on loan. They've um, you know they let so not Lucas Moura, Giovanni Lascelles will go. Um, Dombelli's gone on loan to Leon. Deli Ali's been sold. It, it's just one of those players that. You know, he can play anywhere across that front three. Um, you know, it's he's going to be versatile, back. He's creative. He's quick. And yeah, he can play as a wing back. I have no idea why he's going to play as a wing back because, but that's just Conte for you. But what he does is he provides firepower for Kane. Um, and you know, Kane doesn't need extra firepower because right now he's probably he's coming back to his best. But he's just, I I love watching that guy play. Um, I, I love watching him when he played in, in the Europe in the Euros for Sweden, and I just think he's... I think he's going to be the one that we kind of... We don't notice him because he wasn't the big money buy because he was like a loan with, you know, obligation to buy. Um, 
But for me, the easy, easy choice here on what is the biggest mistake of the window, and that is £40 million for Delhi Alley. Um, I think we saw the best of Delhi Alley maybe two, three seasons ago. I think he doesn't have the, the humility and the work rate to get in, to, to, to get ingratiate himself with the fans at Everton. You know, they, they want to see someone that, that kind of hustles and, and, you know, sweats blood for the team. And I don't think Delhi Alley's that guy. I don't think he'll put the effort in. I remember Mourinho used to say about his lack of effort in training. I know there, there's already complaints about the fact that he showed up for his first training session at Everton in a freaking Rolls Royce. Uh, and they were all like, are you serious? Is that, is that bad these days? I think, he, I think he's got a big, time, a big time Charlie attitude, which will not go down well in what's going to be a very kind of, you know, humble, you know, team morale-based uh, squad at Everton. Um, I think you'll probably get displaced very quickly by Van der Beek, who just seems to work that a little bit harder and want things a little bit more than daily. Um, so yeah, so so that's an easy one for me. Yeah, you, well, you've just ruined our next topic there, which was Everton. Um, <laughs> but anywho, Andy gives your answers as briefly as you can, Paul. Uh, best signing for me is Coutinho. If they play in the right position, I think he's still got every potential to be the player we all saw at Liverpool, um, and then. Worst signings, also Deli Ali. I think people are thinking that Lampard's going to... I think Lampard's a great appointment. I think he'll do well at Everton. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Will you stop ruining Sorry. my next topic? <laughs> God's sake. But I um, I do think that people think he's going to be back to his best. But I just think that personally, we've all seen on All or Nothing, his attitude's not there. And I, I just don't think he's going to get back. Because Lampard... Mourinho turned Lampard into the player he was at Chelsea first time round, and if Mourinho can't get the best out of Deli Ali, I think tactically he's, he's done Mourinho, but I think as a man management, he's still a very good man manager, and I think that if he can't Absolutely. get the best out of Deli Ali, then then there's no chance. I I can't ignore that because I couldn't. I've, I don't think I've ever disagreed with anything more than the statement that Jose Mourinho is a very good man manager because he's very clearly not anymore. Ten year ago. Absolutely, he is a yeah. he is a prime example of one of these old school managers who cannot deal with a Gen Z personality. There are is the absolute pivotal thing that any manager coming through now has to be able to do, and that is adapt to adapt your managerial style, your man managerial style, to suit the more sensitive Gen Z personality. Mm-hmm. We have moved on. You can't expect like you can't have a goal players for turning up in fancy clothes anymore. You can't like, have a goal players for tattooing their face or for looking an absolute twat on a weekend with bright coloured hair. It's the way of the world. It's just an it's just it's how the world works now. That's the Gen Z personality. That's what people. That's what young younger people are like. That's what younger people want to do. And you have to be able to manage that. You can't go into a dressing room and scream and shout at people anymore. You have to go in and put an arm around players, younger players. That I think. Jose Mourinho, in my humble opinion, is the prime example of a manager who doesn't know how to cope, who hasn't adapted his man managerial style to cope with the uh, with the shift in personality of modern day super modern day football and superstars. Um, he's he's got all the tactical knowledge in the world, but he can't get the best out of his players because he doesn't know how to talk to them properly. He doesn't know how to coax the best out of them anymore. Ten years ago, he was the best in the world at that. I just don't think he has adapted his managerial style to the 
to the new type of person that he has to deal with in his dressing room. Anywho, we could probably uh, sit and talk about that all day. But we are moving on to Everton. As I'm sure everyone's no doubt aware, and as we have mentioned a couple of times on this podcast, Everton have <laughs> uh, appointed Frank Lampard as manager. They have brought in Deli Ali. They have brought in Donny van der Beek on loan for the rest of the season. A sign in which uh, the Deli Ali sign, and I did think when Donny van der Beek signed on loan for Everton and then looked on Sky Sports News and saw that they'd also signed Deli Ali for 40 million, I did sort of think, oh, he's not going to be happy about that because he'll have been wanting to play in that number 10 role and now he's probably going to get forced into playing an eight um, if he plays in the starting 11. So, yeah, I can't imagine he's going to be overly chuffed about that. Steve, Lampard at Everton, is he the right appointment? Lampard at Everton. Now, not many managers have come in and in the first game got the kind of reception that Lampard got. Now, partly I think that's because the Everton fans are still so frustrated with the board. Um, There's a genuine kind of almost hatred now of the board um, firstly for bringing in Rafa and then obviously for, for getting rid of Rafa and then basically hamstringing the club by you know getting rid of the to the director of football that Rafa managed to force out before he got himself sacked and obviously and selling you know one of the best players in Dina. So I think Lampard's gonna ride that wave for a while. I think he's gonna be super popular because he's not Rafa and because everyone knows he was not the first choice um for the, the board. Um Mashiri wanted uh Vitor Pereira. The, the Portuguese, and, yeah. you know, he was basically told you'll appoint Lampard, otherwise the fans will probably revolt. So I think Lampard will get that kind of wave on him. I think he's the kind of manager to get the best player at the more creative players they have got there, and they have got some very very good attacking options. Um, but can he keep it tight at the back um, is the big problem because Everton, whether you like to admit it or not, right now they're in a relegation battle. And what they need is a team that is organised and compact at the back and then creative going forward. Uh, he's got the players, but can he get the results? Um, I don't know. I think I, I'm going to enjoy watching him because I enjoy watching Lamp- Chelsea under Lampard because they were, they were they're, he's the closest thing in the current game to, to Keegan. And you'll appreciate this. Keegan's mentality of they score three, we score four is Lampard's mentality when he puts a team out. And I love to watch that as a neutral I love teams that just go flat out and say, I don't care if you're going to pack eight at the back, we're going to come at you. I don't care if you're going to try and play, you know, gig and press high up field, we're still going to come at you. I love watching that. That's a neutral because it means you get goals and exciting games. So I think Lampard will be, I think Lampard is the right appointment given who else was available on the market uh, and given the current stature of Everton. So. Andy, what do you think of the signing, mate? I think... I think it's a good appointment. I mean, I think Lampard was given a harsh ride. Obviously, I know they got too short, ended up being the good appointment who win the Champions League. But his first season at Chelsea, you know, he, Derby got to the player final, didn't win, obviously. But at Chelsea, he finished top four despite a transfer ban. You know, he brought in the youth players. He was good at bringing in the likes of Mason Mount. Uh, I know he's left now, but Tomori, I thought, was, was good at time for Chelsea as well. Um, and then I think, for me, the big thing that killed him was his transfers, the likes of Werner, Havertz taking a while to settle in. But looking at even the season he got sacked, I mean, it really came after a bad month. I mean, from December 12th until January 27th, they lost five games, drew two and won two. But before then, they won all but all but four of their games. One, they lost three, they drew. And that last win they had before they had that bad run, uh, they, they were top of the league. Um, so I think, I think Lampard was just another victim of the Abramovich 
harsh sacking culture, which obviously has worked for Chelsea, not as much for Watford, but uh, it's, he's a victim of that. I think he's a victim. I think any other club, he would have given a lot more time. And I think I think he did a, I think he did a good job. I think he had a, just had a bad month, which got out of hand, and then he got sacked. But I do feel that you know, with the expectations lowered, especially this season when you know when they're trying just trying to stay up, I think he'll do that with ease. And I think then next season, I think he'll get a lot more backing from the board than than he did at Chelsea. And I think that um, you know. He's proved that he can develop youngsters. Um, his transfer business probably isn't... Uh, and he actually, um, he bought in Ben Chilwell, which obviously he's done well now, and Havertz obviously scored the goal in the final. Mount set up the goal in the final, which he scored, which obviously someone he bought through a derby in Chelsea. So, yeah, I, I think Lampard will do well. And I think that, you know, I think especially when the, the, the first year and a half, two years, I think he'll do well beyond what's expected of him. Steve, you're looking at uh, Everton's first four games... And the Lampard in the Premier League, anyway. Obviously, the debut Brentford in the um, in the FA Cup this weekend, quite convincingly as well. They have us away, Leeds at home, Southampton away, Manchester City at home. How many points do you think Lampard needs from those four games to? I don't know. Get the Everton get to get the Everton crowd fully behind them and to get them going and to to change that mood around Goodison that's been so negative for so long into a more positive one going into the uh, six six and I think this is another example of why it was a good time to get rid of Benitez and bring in bring in a new manager because after the Villa defeat you know you had that kind of length of time before the next game you know and, and the run of games they've got let's see Brentford in the Cup then Newcastle Leeds Southampton you know you've got four games there where if you can get two maybe three wins out of those you know, the new manager then has the fans on side uh, and Mashiri will kind of keep... Mashiri can kind of fade back to the background again and, and you know, stop facing calls for his head every week. I know there's a few Everton fans are very, very cynical about the appointment, you know, on the basis that they think that uh, this is just Mashiri kind of pandering to the fans and, you know, Lampard will not be there. He's not the long-term appointment that Mashiri has someone else in mind. But I think Lampard has this opportunity now. Um, I noticed they've got Boreham Wood in the FA Cup uh, after yeah. City. So, you know, he's come in, he's, he's beaten Brentford, he's beaten them convincingly. If he gets two wins out the next four games, that'll be enough for the fans. You know, then you get your nice, hopefully your nice easy cup win against Boreham Wood. And then, you've, you know, you're through, like a, you're through in the cup, which Everton fans value very highly because it's the last trophy they won. Um, and then you then you come into kind of more interesting games. You've got um, Spurs away, Wolves at home. You know, th- those are games where, his, his ability as a manager, his tactical ability as a manager will come into question. But the honeymoon period is perfect for him. You know, the four games, Brentford, Newcastle, Leeds, Southampton. If he gets six points out of those, fans will, will take to him. But then again, when Benitez came in, Benitez won, what, three of his first four games? You know, and the fans were like, yeah, we hate him because he's Benitez, but we're actually doing okay. So we'll see how, that, how long that lasts. I think... Um, when, when they play uh, Liverpool in the Derby on the 23rd of April, that's when we'll see just how far Lampard has brought the team. Uh, and if they go into that game and they're competitive, you know, they, if they lose by the odd goal but they score, I think Lampard will be accepted by the fans. I think if they go out there and get utterly thrashed, um, that's, you know, that could be the point when they turn on because Everton fans, they're fickle. That's because let's call it for what it is. They are one of the most fickle fan bases in the Premier League, right? And uh, unless you get them on side and get them on side quickly, 
um, they can turn on you in a heartbeat. Yeah, um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting discussion. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how they get on over the next couple of months. And I really do hope it gets off to a just truly awful start when they've come to St James's Park tomorrow night. Because I'm going to be there straight after work tomorrow, and I'm let's just say I'm a little bit nervous. Um, <laughs> it's a game that we could very much do with winning as well, and I really, really hope we well, do. I'd love to back. What, what I'd say on that one is like it depends if he starts Delhi Alley against Bruno Gamaris then you've got it in the bag. <laughs> if he starts Donny van der Beek, then be a little bit more you know, cautious. Also, Andre Gomez had one of his best games in Everton Jersey against Brentford the weekend. So, you know, have it, inspiring a, a quality player like that who needs confidence, who needs a hand on the shoulder, that's, that's the kind of thing that Lampard needs to bring to the team. He needs to get the best out of some of the players who are already there. Um, Anthony Gordon, by the way, uh, for anyone who hasn't watched him play, probably one of the most exciting wingers I've seen in the league for a few years. Um, yeah, he's kind of suffered under the fact that Benitez wants to play a little bit more defensively. I think Lampard will be like, just go at people, go absolutely just flat out, run at them, dribble against them, get that ball in the box. I think if Lampard gets the best out of the young players that are coming through from the the, the academy, that's another thing that'll get the fans on side for them. Yeah. All right. Right. We've got one last topic to Sorry, talk just about. Ask one thing. Sorry to interrupt there. Um, I just wanted to get your boys because Klopp go back to Liverpool Jurgen Klopp has been someone who's throughout his time at the club has in cup competitions has rarely played a first team he did this on the weekend against Cardiff played a lot of our first team players but then our next game looks like it's going to be midweek the FA Cup next round from what I'm seeing on online the dates not be confirmed but that happens in the same week as we play West Ham in the league I think the following Saturday or Sunday we play West Ham at home do you think Klopp will play his strongest team that midweek or do you think he'll play our second team against Norwich at home or do you uh, think that well, the fact that well, I think now the fact that obviously the league seems unreachable with how well City are doing, do you think he's going to focus on the cups and just actually play his best team? I think that's one thing he's not done at Liverpool really is is cared about the cups apart from Champions League. Klopp gives the Klopp uses the cups as his kind of sounding board to let the the fringe players play, and I don't think his approach to that's going to change. Uh, I think you are going to see you know. Even if you have like Manny and Salabak, I think you're going to see them on the bench. I think you're going to see players like Minamino and Harvey Elliott continue to get a run in the team in the cup games. Um, it's very much like, you remember when Wenger used to play an entire under-21 squad in the League Cup? Um, that's mm. pretty much what Klopp treats the cup competitions in the UK as. I don't Normally, think yeah. Yeah, I think that this is actually the first time I've ever, the thing is the first time I've seen Liverpool play <clears throat> A, a, a team in the division below us and him play a lot of our first team is he played Robert, they played Tamikas, yes, he, but he played Trent, he played Van Dyke and Canate, he played, um, what else did he play? He obviously, yeah, Jota started, Firmino, who's been starting a lot with Marnie and Salah out, he played, uh, Henderson played, um, I can't think whether Firmino, I don't think Firmino played, but yeah, a lot of our first team has played, but I just was thinking that's probably because we've had like a week off, whereas with two games in a week, I was just trying to work out what you thought you'd do with it being sort of a quite crucial part of the tournament. Mate, you've got the League Cup final three days before. Oh, uh, God, yeah, yeah. Big, yeah a, a big game against West Ham a few days after and then a Champions League game against Inter Milan the week later. Yeah, week I didn't later. think of that. He's didn't not going to play the first team. <laughs> no, I, I literally forgot about the League Cup final. I completely forgot that was so close to the, to the day. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to our final topic, which is Leicester City. Um, Brendan Rodgers have... There's been a few 
little murmurs around uh, the national press today that there could be a hint of a little bit of pressure on Brendan Rodgers starting them out because they're not having a great season. In comparison to the last few, they've been doing really well, challenging for top four. This year, they're sitting firmly mid-table. They're in no danger of, obviously, uh, relegation, not looking behind them at all. But looking up, there's a long way between them and the, uh, the European places. And then to top it off in the Midlands derby this weekend, they were absolutely pumped at Nottingham Forest. And it wasn't a pretty watch if you're a Leicester fan. I watched the game and you put it this way, if you'd gone into that game not knowing who was who and asked which one was a Premier League team, you would not have said it was the team in blue. And I know that's an old school cliche, but my God, Nottingham Forest were by far the better team. Although Kelechi uh, Iheanacho, I think it was, uh, did score quite a nice goal, but uh, still, it was a truly tragic performance from them. Is he under a little bit of pressure, Steve? Should he be under a little pressure? If not, um, I'm trying to remember who who said the uh, was it the old cliche about the there's only three things certain in life, which is as a football manager, death taxes and getting sacked. Uh, <laughs> I think Rogers Rogers is one of those. He's he he's at a stage now where he needs for the club to stand still. They need to invest big money. Um, you know, they brought in uh, Daka in the summer. He's meant to be looking at a long-term replacement for Vardy. Um, but I think one of the things that he's suffered from a lot this season is the form of guys like James Madison, who, yes, he's had a few injuries, but even when he's back on the pitch, he doesn't look like the same kind of player he was two years ago when he was the, the guy we were saying, this is the guy that has to challenge Grealish, you know, for that number 10 role for England. Some, something's, you know, gone wrong there. I think at the back, they, they missed Johnny Evans massively all season. Um, I, I You were talking there about the game at the weekend. Um, Keenan Elliott, is it? The um, the Villa youngster who's on loan at Forest. Uh, and he bullied Soyuncu for 90 minutes. And Soyuncu is meant to be their starting centre-back. Um, and that's the, kind of, that's the kind of result that Rogers has to come out and say, well, Rogers did come out and say, look, there are players here who have taken it for granted that they get a start on the team. Uh, and it's it's not the case anymore. And I think if he wants to keep his job, he has to show that he means that. He has to go out this week, the next couple of weeks, and take some of the, the bigger names in the team and just say to them, you're on the bench. I'm bringing in someone who actually genuinely wants this job, who wants this role, who will fight for this role. Um, I love watching Rolford and Didi. I think he's been a, a perfect replacement for Ngolo Kante. I don't think he has in Kante's engine. Uh, and I think he was getting... He kind of... He was on 50%, 60% at the weekend. And if you can't raise yourself for a game in the FA Cup against you know your, your hated rivals, then that's the point at which you say, is this guy... You know, is, is this... Can the club move forward with you in that position? Um, and Rogers has to make those decisions. They're going to be tough decisions because there are some popular players there who they had a stinker at the weekend, and they're not look, they haven't looked themselves this year. Uh, and he has to say, do I keep playing them or do I bring through? Because he's got guys in the in the youth setup, and he's got guys who are coming through who really, you know, might not have the same level of talent, but have a lot more desire. Um, I'd like to see him play Adam Lookman a lot more. Uh, Lookman's one of those players that everywhere he's gone, he just seems to have been. He's talent and effort, but he just always seems to get stuck behind someone who's more experienced in his position. Uh, it was the same when he was at Everton. Um, and he's the guy who, you know, 
him and, and maybe, maybe I don't know, what, what's your thought, Kieran? If I was to say maybe this season, um, instead of like playing uh, Pats and Dak up front, he plays a little bit more by Jose Perez. Because obviously, you know, you have very strong opinions of him from his time in Newcastle. I like Jose Perez. He's a good player, but he's a one in four player. Like, he's one of these players who will play absolutely outstanding for you. And then the next three games, you'll do nothing. Which I feel like is something that Leicester have got a few too many of at the minute. I think Kalechi and Nacho, uh, you could put into that bracket. James Madison, you could put into that bracket. Harvey Barnes to an extent, Pats and Dagger. Adam Ola Luckman was shocking against Nottingham Forest. Um, for all like the clear the clamour to have him in the team from you, Steve. Shocking against Forest. Yuri Tielemans was awful against Forest as well, by the way. Um, but yeah, he's just another one of those players. What they need is someone who's going to offer them that consistent output. And Isa Perez is not that guy. He's not. And if you're going to play him up front, play him in a two, not a, not by himself, because he's not going to offer you anything up front on his own. Um, and I, my thing with Iose Perez is he was poor. Uh, he, he was sort of really inconsistent, good every now and then for a few years. And then he had six months left on his deal. Uh, six months to basically put his name in the window and get himself a move. Um, and boy, did he do that. He was absolutely outstanding for six months. Somehow we managed to get 30-odd million for him. He went to Leicester, and Leicester fans absolutely despise him. They will. Yes. Leicester fans hate him. They think he's absolutely shocking. Um, and I, I do think that's a little bit harsh. He's not that bad, but he, what he is is incredibly inconsistent, and I can see where they're coming from because he was... That famous celebration he's got where he puts his fingers in his ear were, was because of how much stick he was getting from Newcastle fans for not turning up, for just for turning up to games and just ghosting around. And then he scored his first goal for a few months and had the audacity to celebrate like that. Um, and it sort of just stuck. But yeah, he, he's not the... I would say Perez is not the answer to this, uh, to, to Leicester City's issues this season. Not for me anyway. Andy, what are you thinking? Yeah, I I, th- I think Perez has always been someone who's been very inconsistent and I, I was very shocked when they spent 30 million on him. Um, even with the form he was in. Uh, and as well, it's a shame that he spent that 30 million in the end on Joe Willock, who's probably the exact same as Perez. If you look at an amazing six months or loan spell, and then I don't think he's been quite the same as he was this season, as he was for you in that loan spell, I, I'd say. Um, but I do think it's Brendan Rodgers. I do feel that I know they got formed before with Saki Manieri, what was it, six, seven months after he won the league. But I, I would I would say it would be silly for them to get rid of Rodgers not long after winning the FA Cup because, you know, I think maybe Leicester getting too ambitious. I mean, it's not the only few has moved from almost being relegated. I mean, the fact they've gone from that to well, Premier League winners and just now they're just a staple Premier League, they're just a established side. I don't think they'll ever go down unless something goes horribly wrong in the next 10, 15 years. So I think they've done really well there to establish, establish themselves as a top Premier League side and then a consistent European football contender. But I think maybe, do you remember in Leeds in the early 2000s, every year tried to get Premier League winners and they didn't do it. And then after a while, the wheels fell off. This feels very much like that in terms of Leicester, twice missing out on top four in the last day, really should have got it both times and didn't get it. And I think we're going to see more players leaving. The, the, the more likely they don't get into Champions League, the more likely we'll see the likes of Tielmans go. I think he'll go probably in the summer if they don't get top four, which they won't do. Um, and I think James Madison might might leave with... I think he's playing so badly, he may not, but I think we'll see 
the more they don't get top four in European football, the more Wolfsburg players leave and that sort of grid spell they had will eventually go down. Unless they invest well, they could invest well like and and have a good few seasons. But I think their the time is gone, their, t- their chance is gone to try and get Champions League. I can't see them doing it now. I think they had their two good years where they should have got top four and they didn't. So, but I wouldn't personally get, I, I, I'm of the opinion that if you get rid of Rodgers, who are you going to get in that's better, that's actually available? That's the thing. I mean, Rodgers, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of, I've said it before on the podcast many times, I'm a big fan of Rodgers and I think that if you do get rid of him, who's available that you can get? I can't think anyone really that actually they can realistically go and get that's better than him. He plays good football, which is what the fans like. They like exciting football. He plays the right way, which I think all fans want their team to do. You know, and he's done really well. I mean, both years getting fifth place, way beyond expectations. And then FA Cup winners medal. Um, obviously, once again, Europe has been an issue for him. He can never really get over that European football hub. He always seems to disappoint when it comes to Europa League or Champions League. But I think he's done a good job overall. And I think that, you know, if it gets worse, if they get if they're fighting relegation, maybe then I'd, I'd say, yeah, get rid of them then. But I think right now, 10th place isn't too bad sitting where they were a few years ago. And also, only, what's it, five, six, seven points off Europa League places. So I do think that, you know. But why are we taking into account where they were five, six, seven years ago when that yeah. doesn't mean anything? Like- no. But I still think they're still not too far off. It only, it only takes them a good two, three month spell form. And they'll be in with contention again to get Europa League. And also, Fafana's come back this month, I've seen. So um, I think he's been a big miss in defence. I think having him back will be a massive boost. And I still think they've got every every chance to go on a good run of form. Maybe the opposite of their their past two seasons, have a really good end to the year and a really bad start. And I think they they could go on a good good run of form and end up getting sixth, seventh, eighth place and getting that Europa League or Europa Conference League place, which isn't, I don't think, isn't. a bad season for Leicester. I think that's still a good achievement. My only thing is, and I'm not, I'm not saying he should be sacked, I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate here. If, I don't know, one of the other top six clubs, Manchester United, say, finished 10th this season, would you be saying the manager should be sacked then? Um, I would say, yeah, if it wasn't for the fact that Ragnick is only on a six-month contract. Like, but I think take that. That doesn't matter. Like just as an example. Um, well, let's use a different example. Mikel Arteta. If Arsenal finished tenth this year. Would you be saying he should be sacked? No, because that that probably, probably people weren't expecting. I think that where the, where the team is. I think that you know where um, they've been the last few years. I I just don't think that tenth place is awful for Arsenal considering the sort of the the players they got at the club at the moment, I don't think their squad is anything special. So I think 10th place isn't too far different from finishing eighth last year. Uh, but I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think Arteta's going to do well in the end. But yeah, I, I wouldn't sack Arsenal if they finish 10th. Steve, what do you think? If one, of the two, if one of the top six clubs who've been top six clubs and starting to establish themselves there have been for a while, all of a sudden finish mid mid table with no real excuse when you look through his team would you would you be saying yeah maybe it is time to look elsewhere I think it's about looking at the club and looking at the, the stature of the club um, and the expectations of the club mm-hmm. now if you look outside big teams you know United City, Liverpool, Arsenal Spurs um, 
look outside of that, I'd say those are teams when they, when they finish outside the top six, you expect to see the manager get sacked. I think Rodgers has over-produced, um, he's, he's outperformed expectations of that team for a long, long time um, with investment, which has been a fraction of what the big boys around him have been play, paying. Um, I think if you want a good example of, of kind of that, that momentum shift, that's what West Ham are doing this year. They're outperforming the big boys around them without huge amounts of investment. Um, and I think that's what the likes of Rodgers and Moyes do. They, they get the best at the players they've got there, but their boards tend to be um, you know, ambitious. They want, they want to win things, but at the same time, they don't want to put in you know, top six money. Um, and I think Rodgers is at the stage now where his squad is at the kind of edge of their the three, four-year period where they were super competitive. You know, Vardy's getting on a bit. Madison's form's dropped off. Thielman's, he had a bad game at the weekend. I don't think that makes him a bad player. I still think he's the best player in their squad. Um, but they have had a few injuries this season. But they're coming to that stage now where unless the board goes out and says, this summer you can spend $100 million and bring in three quality players, then Leicester will be dropping down the table regardless of whether or not they sack Rodgers. Um, and I go with what Andy said there. Finding a manager of his calibre who can get the best out of the players he's got, that there's not many people out there. It's not with Premier League experience, not who would work in the kind of environment that Leicester have, which is very kind of you know, it's, it's community based. It's not like we are we are the big boys. We are constantly expecting Champions League football. It's like we are a community based team. We won the league. We won the FA Cup. We're really happy that the team's outperforming expectations. But I think there's a realism in Leicester fans that. They don't expect to be there every year. They expect to be competitive for the top eight, but they don't expect to be competitive top four. I think that's that's a, a sort of an issue that they're going to have this season. That is the reason why people are going to start asking questions is because expectations change. Yes, they might. Well, once upon a time, they might have been happy with 11th, 12th place. But when you start setting the precedent of finishing in the top five, top six, season in season now people all of a sudden that becomes the expectation and to all of a sudden go from that straight back down to where you were four or five years ago all of a sudden you're starting to think mm, maybe maybe not maybe you're not the right person but if you want my actual opinion on this subject i think that all managers go through periods of ups and downs you're not going to do amazing every season you're going to have off periods i think stick with them and i think you will get I think you'll come good eventually. He's got a good squad, but I think the question you've got to start asking soon is, are the players playing for him? Because there's a... Because what other excuse have you got? What, what, what other reason can you put your finger on for why they're not playing very well this season? Because they actually aren't playing well. If you watch them, they're not playing well. Yes, they've got a few injuries, but not massive amounts of injuries. Like Wesley Fofana's out. They've been missing Vardy, but even then, Vardy's only been missing for a few weeks. He's only missed a few mm. games. Even he's not been at his usual best this season. Although he mm. has scored a few goals. Um, so eventually, you've just got to start thinking, well, something's wrong. Maybe there's something wrong with inside the club. And sometimes the only way to fix that is to change it. Um, but then I, then I think the argument against that would be, well, how are you going to change it? Who are you going to bring in? 
Um, I think I think if this summer what they do is they they go to um, the board goes to, to him and he says like you know we will get offers this season for Indeedy we'll get offers this season for Telemans you know if we can get this much who do you want to replace him and Rogers is the kind of guy that he watches well football he understands the style that his team plays and he knows the kind of player he wants for those positions he knows the kind of players he knows to fill the hole in his team um, and I think. Leicester would do well this season to sell the likes of Telemans and Didi Welsh. They are kind of near their the top end value and reinvest that money in the squad and give Rodgers a real kind of you know hand in who comes in rather than say, well, the, the director of player recruitment will give you four players and you just have to make the best of it. I think um, the, the only danger with that is, and Andy will tell you, when Rodgers gets too involved in the, the player you know decision-making uh, or the, the players are coming in, doesn't always work out well. I think a few Rogers signings uh, weren't the greatest when he was at Liverpool. I think a few um, is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there has to be a balance. I think Rogers has to say, oh, "I need this player or that player," and let the director football go and get them. But I think also he's a great coach. He he can guide players into a squad, and he has built a good mentality there. So, is it a case of they're not playing for him, or is it a case of they're getting on a bit and they're just they peaked and they're starting to slide. And I think it's possibly a little bit of both, probably more of the latter. Um, but yeah, Ian Atcher is, is one that, you, I mean, we remember him when he broke through at City and we were like, this guy can go. But then we, we kind of look back at it now and we say, this was a very average player in a very good system with a very good manager. Um, and, and, you know, 25 million for him now looks like the... the it looks like the the uh, city chairman should be chancellor of the exchequer for getting that kind of money for him. I think that's a bit harsh. I mean, he was excellent last season, if you remember. He had a purple patch, but as you said, he was like at the end of the season. I think he finished for what fifteen goals, something like that. That's 14, 15. Yeah, and it's like, and it was, most of it was in a very short period of time. So he's a kind of he's a form player, he's a burst player, as a confidence oh, yeah. player. I think most strikers are though. Um, if, I do think that is a thing. Unless you're playing for one of the top, well, one of the very best sides, you're one of the very best strikers. I think you get that. I think the same can be said about most strikers, the form players, I the confidence I think, players. I think there are some players who there are some players who their quality is there. So even when they're on a bad run of form, you still look at it and say that's a that incredibly good player. I mean, Harry Kane's on a form at the start of the season. Nobody turned around and went, Harry Kane isn't worth 200 million in the city. We're supposed to be bidding for him. We still looked at it when yes, yeah, he's but that's, a bad but that, run, but he is a top class, world class. Well, player of course, in that, a bad that's team. exactly what I'm saying, though. Like, there's not many Harry Kane's around. <laughs> he's the exception to the rule, um, in my opinion. Anyway, um, there's not many Harry Kane's around, but there's plenty of Kalechi Iheanachos around. There's just decent strikers who will go through purple patches and a lot of the time just not do very much really um i feel like i feel like unless you are one of the top four clubs chances are that's what your strikers like you just have to live with that that's why you need goals from throughout your team and this season they haven't had that really um barnes has obviously had a couple of uh, a while out with injury madison is just not the same player for whatever reason uh telemans is telemans but then they've been bringing through the likes of Kane and Jewsbury Hall, who I really like. Luke Thomas at mm. left back has done he's done really well. Adam Ola Luckman has looked threatening off at times off the bench, but even then when he starts, I don't, I don't think he looks all that great. Um, I, I Here's really a question did. then to go back to something you said earlier. Yeah, of the two know. teams after that transfer window, 
who has more squad depth, Leicester or Arsenal? Because that's two teams that you're looking at to finish fifth and sixth. Are you? I don't think Leicester are even in that conversation this season. Uh, uh, you're saying that Leicester fans have that belief that they can finish that fifth or sixth place. I, th- I don't I, think they'll make it. I think they but, did at the start of the season, which is why I'm yeah. saying that I think they'll probably be a little bit disappointed with where they are now. Um, who's got the better squad depth right now? I think around about a similar level. Um, although he seems to have more trust in his younger players than, um, well, I, I guess that's a little bit harsh, but there's the likes of Keenan Jewsbury Hall, Adam Muller-Luckman, been playing well, been playing quite a lot. I like them. Uh, they are doing all right. But yeah, I'd say they're around about a similar level at the moment in terms of squad depth. There's not much beyond the starting 11. Uh, but then again, unless you have one of the top four teams, it applies across the board, I think, really. Don't you think? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Anywho, Andy, you had a question to ask before we wrap up, mate. Yeah, we've mentioned a lot of cups and stuff on finals uh, in this podcast. So I'm reaching out to any people that are in the know that can get me a ticket to the League Cup final. DM the podcast and get me a ticket because I've been trying everywhere to try and get a ticket arranged for me and my dad to watch Liverpool Chelsea League Cup final. So if anyone, you know, listening, knows a way they can get me a free ticket or two, then send it our way and we can arrange something. <laughs> Were you not in the ballot? Did you not enter the ballot? Oh, basically, you have to be a, like, you have to be a, um, a member who's been to four games in the last two years. But if anyone knows how that our website works these days, it's like trying to get Glastonbury tickets. It's literally the hardest task in the world. Trying to get tickets online in that, in that ballot is it's like you're waiting three hours sometimes. You don't get anything. Um, and once I got in the queue I got in and I got into the front bit within six minutes of the thing and I still couldn't get tickets like you get in and straight away bang sold out whereas I think I think it goes down to I think they changed the whole way our ticket thing went with years ago back when I was like in my teens it was much easier to get tickets not only because we had Hodgson in charge um, but also just because it was um, a different system but now they've got it also, I get why they're trying to get um, more authentic fans rather than tourist fans. But the best way I got to get for Newcastle game recently was down to one of those resale sites. Uh, and even then, that's like, it's very rare you'll get a ticket under 100 quid, uh, which is, I got very lucky that one time. But normally it's like paying 89, 90 pounds plus on top, like, like an 18, 25 pound service charge. So it's, um yeah, it's hard. But yeah, we're, we're trying our best to get tickets. I've been trying to, get a press pass range. My dad's got some contacts. He can hopefully try. So if anyone's listening, then please do give me a shout. <laughs> you'll, have a, you'll have a tough task getting a press pass arranged, but um, good luck with it. I'm mate. on the um, provisional list. So I, I, I'm like a reserve. <laughs> so um, I hope it works. Uh, nice find them. Yeah, me too, mate. Me too. Because I am, um, I'm desperate to go. So um, yeah. All right. But actually, before I go as well, one thing, anyone here, local fan lives in Brighton. There's a great, company called the Brighton Cop. They do the Liverpool fans bar in Brighton. So if anyone lives in the area and hasn't heard of the Brighton Cop, then it's a really good place to go and watch Liverpool games. All right. Who would actually want to go and watch a Liverpool game in Brighton? When you go there, they have like they have those banners up, they we, they chat Liverpool songs all day. The whole bar's for, for Liverpool fans. You can't get in if you're not a fan. It's it's like grand it's like I think they won an award for like best supporters a lot of best supporter of the year or something it's it's very well if you if you youtube it you'll find the video straight away it's really impressive and it's it's like being at anfield just 
obviously not on Anfield, but it, it, you feel like Just you're... In Brighton. Yeah, in, in, in a pub in the lanes. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not selling it to me here, Andy. You're not selling it to me. Well, I'm sure if it was Partick Thistle or Brentford, it, it might, might sway you differently, but um, if you're a Liverpool it's fan, like it's absolutely heaven. As, as, as a Partick Thistle fan, basically, it's like you have the Firhill Tavern and that's, that's your whack. And that is only like a, a fan's pub because it's right next to the ground. Yeah. Like, you will not find many Partick Thistle bars around the world. So I'll, I'll yeah. go on record and say that. Meanwhile, if you are on the South Coast near Brighton and you do want to go and watch some actual football, uh, I would suggest going along to Eastbourne Borough FC. For oh, Eastbourne, yeah, I went. I for went a nice little bit of non-league football. Or if you're feeling a little bit more dangerous and don't mind getting stabbed the odd time, maybe even go up to Whitehawk. Um, oh, fun fact for the Whitehawk is a team that um, the Wellstone Raider video came from. So that video where the, the, the famous video of the Welsh that was actually in Whitehawk. Fun What's fact. that, Andy? You want some? You want some? Hey, <laughs> you got no fans and you got no club. To be fair, to be fair, the Wellstone Raider was probably right to have his wits about him and be ready to drop everything and fight <laughs> in Whitehawk yeah. because you know. It's just, uh, you, you're probably going to need to do that uh, if you go up to there. <laughs> I just want to say, by the way, and Andy's like, you know, here are all these clubs to go and watch when you're around about Brighton. It's like, why not just go and watch Brighton? They're actually yeah, one of the best teams in the league well. right now. <laughs> you try getting tickets to they're Brighton. One the, they're one of the four <laughs> form teams in the league. You know, yeah, it's that, like, why not that, go and see your local team like, and do well? Have you, have you been at the Amex um, yet? Andy. No, I've been I've just been around it with the campus, but I've not well, whenever I've tried, it's always been either against one of the big teams or it's just been not a game I could make. But I'm definitely gonna uh, try to make it, you know. It's it's, it's, it's nice, it's all right. I the, yeah. the, the the start, like the first five minutes is great. After that, it's flat as far, but still. Um <laughs> it's here's, it's quite nice. When this thing Sussex by the sea, it's quite it's quite tingly. Yeah. Right here's yeah. a question for both of you then, which goes back to a point on Rogers, yeah. If Rogers got sacked, should Brighton go for a manager like Graham Potter? Is he the kind of guy would uh, yeah. moving from Brighton to Leicester be a step up for him? Absolutely, and it's not yeah. close. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe they'll come. swap. Maybe they'll swap of managers. You know, Potter goes to Brighton. Rogers goes to no. Rogers goes to the Potter goes to Leicester, and then Rogers goes the other way. Maybe. Nah, I think Rogers. Rogers has still got this. Um, He's still got this thing about him where people see him as a top, top manager. So because he is, he'll probably still somehow he'll probably get the Everton job in about sixteen, like sixteen to eighteen months' time. Um, if he was, yeah, let's not go that far. I think <laughs> Mashiri has learned his lesson with the Benitez experiment. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, just before, just one last thing before we go on the subject of Brighton. Does look as though Newcastle have managed to push Dan Ashworth from Brighton today. Mm, um, Dan, Ashworth, Dan Ashworth handed in his resignation as Brighton technical director and is now, by all reports, en route to Newcastle to be Newcastle's new sporting director. So here comes the money. Quite sure for this, that. Happens. This is a good. This is a good appointment. This and this this goes back to something we said when Newcastle when the Newcastle takeover was announced was what Newcastle needed to do was get things right off the pitch. Yeah. Before they started spending big money on the pitch, so getting someone like Ashworth as your technical director, you know, and getting the the groundwork laid so that you can go out in the summer and buy the right kind of player for your your manager and for your style of play, that's a really good move. I absolutely agree. It was a very good move, but we have rambled on and on and on and gone on tangent after tangent. So that is now all we've got time for for this week. We will be back again next week. 
or possibly the week after, hopefully next week, uh, to discuss another week in the footballer world. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you. Later.